Tomorrow is a big day for this country. Tomorrow is the day when we as a country celebrate our independence. It's a, it's a fun day for, for many of us. It's marked by time with family and friends. We wrote, wear red, white, and blue. We put stars all over the house. We have grilled out food and good music and then a night full of, of fireworks to every mother's panic and every dog's chagrin. But it's a great day of, of celebration. When you think about it, our, our life really is full of those kind of moments, those days, those special days, whether it's birthdays or anniversaries or weddings or graduations. We, we have these special markers throughout the year which tell us that these important times are coming. In fact, we mark time by them. They're filled with great anticipation, and I think for many of us, most of our fond memories circle around those kind of special days. Well, today I want us to look at a special day that's found in the Word of God. God gave His people a special day. It was a day intended to be a blessing to them and an important reminder to them. We're in Exodus chapter 20, right in the heart of the Ten Commandments, when it says in Exodus 20 and verse 8, Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh is the Sabbath of the Lord, your God. In it you shall not do any work. Your son, you or your son or your daughter, your male or female servant or your cattle or your sojourner who stays with you. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. God gave them the seventh day, the Sabbath day. In fact, as Jesus talked about the Sabbath day, he made it clear this was not a day for God. It was a day given for man. He says the Sabbath was made for man. Because God understood something about you and I since he made us, and that is we need to take a break. We need rest. And he also knew that unless he commanded it and enforced it, we would not seek that rest. It's just like the little kids whose eyes they're rubbing and they're yawning. And as much as they fight it, when mom and dad said, do you want to take a nap? I'm not tired. I promise I'm not, I'm not tired. They fight every bit of it. They insist that they are not sleepy. That's us. Unless God would command it, we wouldn't take the time to set aside and rest. The word Sabbath does not mean Saturday. The word Sabbath means rest. And God gave his people a rhythm of rest. You see in the commandment in Exodus chapter 20 that the rest we pursue is simply but to imitate what it is God did in the very beginning. In Exodus, or Genesis chapter 2 and verse 3, it says, So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. Six days he worked making the world. One day he rested, setting aside. It's not exhaustion. Rest does not always imply being tired. We know from Isaiah 40, God doesn't get tired. God doesn't get colds. God doesn't need to take a break. Resting doesn't just imply exhaustion. It implies and suggests the stopping or the seizing of work. You're done. There's a time for work and there's a time for rest. That was at the heart of this Sabbath command because there's, there's several things that this one command, this special day, was intended to do and to bring to the people of God. In one sense, it was to be a safeguard. It was a reminder to the people that there's a time for work and there's a time for labor, but your life is not made up of work. There's more to life and there's more to you than simply all your activity and toil. 
And so God gave them this, a command to be a safeguard, to guard them against abusing their bodies and their minds and their schedules and their families and ultimately their lives. And it looked a lot like this. There was all these different kinds of stipulations around the Sabbath day, like in the book of Exodus 35 and verse 3, that you couldn't kindle a fire on the Sabbath day. Or in uh, Nehemiah 10 and verse 31, you couldn't barter or trade, sell goods on the Sabbath day. Even in the New Testament, we read in Acts 1 and verse 12 that there was a certain distance you could travel, and if you crossed that distance, you were in trouble because God made it clear, I don't want you doing this work. I want you to guard this and the principle on this day. And so it was to be a safeguard to the people. Don't abuse your life. Don't abuse what's most important to you. It was also to be a reminder, a reminder to the people that when you neglect the Sabbath command, when you reject what God said about the Sabbath, not only did it bring abuse to your body, it also brought abuse to your soul, to your spirit. Because just as our bodies need rest, our spirits need refreshing, and our God is worthy of worshiping. And so the Sabbath gave them a day, one pure day, undistracted by everything in the world where they could just focus on Him on the Lord. It was a day not just of rest, it was a day of worship. In Ezekiel chapter 20 and verse 12, it says, Moreover, I gave them my Sabbaths as a sign between me and them that they may know that I am the Lord who sanctifies them. In verse 20, it says, Keep my Sabbaths holy that they may be a sign between us. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God. It was a reminder of the presence of God in their life, the priority of God in their life. And in that sense, it was a sign. It was a sign to them, and it was a sign to all the nations around them. As it says in the book of Exodus 31 and verse 13, you are to speak to all the people, to the people of Israel, and say, above all, you shall keep my Sabbaths, for this is a sign between me and you throughout your generations that you may know that I, the Lord, sanctify you. And so when this nation kept the Sabbath and they set aside the seventh day and they didn't do this work and they didn't barter or travel, It not only showed them and reminded them, it reminded all the nations around them that above my work, above my work and my interests and my priorities and my pursuits is a majestic God who has first claim in my life. The heart of the Sabbath is this. I want you to make a day so special, so holy to me that you and your neighbors will remember the priority of me in your life. Now, the Sabbath was found in a covenant that does no longer exist today. A covenant that was fulfilled, which we remembered and celebrated just a moment ago at the table. The book of Hebrews chapter 7 and verse 12 reminds us that when there is a change in the priesthood, there is necessarily a change in the law as well. And we have a new high priest, which means we have a new law under a new covenant. The same writer would say in chapter 9 and verse 15, Therefore he is the mediator of a new covenant, so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance. Since the death has occurred, that redeems him from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. He's a mediator of a new covenant, new laws, new obligations. He would say it succinctly in chapter 8 and verse 13, and speaking of a new covenant, he makes the first one obsolete. And what is becoming obsolete is growing old and ready to vanish away. The Ten Commandments, the Sabbath law was found under a covenant, a covenant that has been fulfilled. In fact, in your Bibles, in Colossians chapter 2, in your Bibles, we're not going to have it on the screen. Go to Colossians chapter 2 and notice how that Sabbath command was found attached to a covenant put away by the cross. 
Colossians chapter 2, Paul writes in verse 13, he says, When you were dead and your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive together with him, having forgiven us all our transgressions, having canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us, which was hostile to us, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. When he had disarmed the rulers and authorities, he made a public display of them, having triumphed over them through him. Therefore, verse 16, no one is to act as your judge in regard to food or drink or in respect to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath day, things which were a mere shadow of what is to come. But the substance belongs to Christ. Here he's saying, There was a time, there was a law, there was a place where this was what God expected of his people. And when we turn to this new covenant, to the law under Christ, we don't find God saying or commanding his people to keep the Sabbath. We don't find any example in the New Testament of God's people, Christians, keeping the Sabbath. Can I share with you my concern, though? Looking in the mirror, the mirror of God's word and looking at my life. Because I would imagine it's probably the same for you as well. In setting aside the Sabbath law, I believe far too many of us have set aside the principles that existed within the Sabbath. Those principles that God established which were intended to bless us and protect us and to help us. You got something to write down? There are three principles that still are very necessary for the people of God that are found entrenched in that Sabbath command. Like to begin, the value of work. He says, six days you shall labor and do all your work. Work is not a curse. Work is not a burden. Work was intended to be a blessing. The Bible opens with work because God worked in creating all things. And then when he made man, he put man in the garden. And our kids' pictures get it wrong because a lot of the kids' pictures has like Adam with a coconut drink and he's laying down with a lion and everything looks real easy. That's not the picture of Genesis chapter 2. Genesis 2 and verse 15 says, The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden, look, to work it and to keep it. Before there was sin, before there was the curse, before everything got bad, man was working. God created man with a purpose, with a mission, and that's what work fulfills. Whatever your job is, whether if you're high up, a high up official, or you're down low on the bottom of the totem pole, whether if you're white collar or blue collar, whether if you're working there for a long time or you just started, what you do matters. God expects his people to work. Colossians chapter uh, 3, verse 23 says, Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. What a great reminder. We have a day tomorrow. We're going to take off, many of us, and catch our breath before Tuesday. And Tuesday is the day we need a verse like Colossians 3 to remind us, when I clock in, when I tune on, when I show up, it's not just that I'm working for a paycheck. It's not just that I'm working for some guy who's going to give me his expectations. I'm doing this work as if I'm working for the Lord himself, which means there's an attitude, which means there's a behavior, which means there's a manner in which we can work in a way that shows the world and God that I'm serving him before all. And I need that. I need that reminder. It's really easy now, especially in our post-COVID times, to turn on a computer screen and to be logged on to work while well, I am Netflix binging and I'm Amazon shopping and I am everywhere but where I need to be. Let's remember, we're not just working for a paycheck. 
Even if my boss lacks off, even if my other employees are not doing what they're supposed to do, we have a higher calling, brethren. It is the Lord through whom we work, and he expects us to work. And work really in a large sense benefits us. Think about that. God made you you, and you can do what only it is that you can do for a reason. And there's something really neat about that. Some of you can do things that I can't even dream up. We have some of you, and if you gave them an hour and a couple pieces of wood and, new, and nails and screws could have something fully functioning and awesome and amazing. Staircases, bookshelves, buildings with beams. Some of you have that gift. Some of you are really good with your words. You know what to say in the moment, and some of you are good at listening to words and not blowing your top. Customer service is your, is your forte. Some of you are really good with computers. You know about the codes and the ins and the outs, and you can sit in front of a screen. The Lord has blessed you and not go blind after a long day of sitting here doing this all day long, and you help us, and you help us in doing so. Some of you are really good being outside on days like this. Some of you, like Tim, are good running in the danger in the midst of fires and helping people be safe. There's a lot of things that you can do. And the reality is when we do what God made us to do and use our time and our talents the way that God put them in our place, the psalmist says it best, it's a blessing, it's fulfilling, it's satisfying. Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in his ways. You shall eat the fruit of the labor of your hands. You shall be blessed and it shall be well with you. I'm just doing what God made me to do. God gave me this gift, he gave me this talent and I'm gonna use it to help, to serve, to craft, or create. I'm using the talents God has woven into my life. And ultimately it blesses others. And so the cattle farmer who raises the cattle. He is connected to the butcher who takes his cattle and chops it up. Who is connected to the truck driver who takes that meat across town. Who is connected to the teenager who's going to flip the burgers for me at In-N-Out today. Who is connected to the banker who's going to cash his check just a couple days later. Who's connected to the accountant who's going to make sure all the books are right. Do you, do you see how everyone needs everyone? Not one of us are isolated and unconnected from one another. And you think about the greater principle, brethren, there's something so good about our Sunday mornings that just helps reset this in our mind, that we are a people who enter into a workplace dependent on one another, and it's not just that we give them a service. It's not just that we show them hard work. We show them something they've never seen before. Paul would say to servants, to slaves, teach slaves to be subject to their masters and everything, to try to please them, not to talk back to them, not to steal from them, but to show that they can be fully trusted so that in every way they will make the teaching about God our Savior what? There's a way you and I, whether it's tomorrow, if you have to work on the 4th or Tuesday, whenever you plug in, that you can work and live in such a way, we sing it this way, we let the beauty of Jesus be seen in us. The attractiveness in the gospel. Look at that. I can work in such a way that people hear something from my lips they've never heard before. They hear kind words and gracious words. They hear words of hope. I work in such a way that they don't see people who's only in it for themselves. No, they're really genuinely cared about me and they're cared about my life and my interests. They're cared about my soul even when I didn't give any thought or consideration about that. They're gracious and forgiving. They're patient and understanding. They see the gospel in us and I see a lot of that in you. Because some of you are giving your life to young kids. You're not teaching at math and English and history and science. You're molding and shaping the next generation of people and you're showing them Jesus through the way you work. 
There's a lot of you, and you're not just mending broken bones and giving people shots in their arms. You do do that. But you're giving them hope and mercy and compassion, and you're showing them the great physician through your time and your attention, caring for those who are in need. We have some who are protecting those who are wounded. We have some who are rushing the danger to those who are, who are hurting. We have some who every day are providing a service and a care and what we are doing in our work as we are showing the world Jesus. What you do matters. Your work is making a difference. And the Sabbath helps us to see that. The Sabbath also reminds us of the value of rest. One of my favorite stories, I don't know if this is true, it's called a legend, and so we'll stick it with it as a legend or a preacher story. There's a man named Pheidippides during the times of 490 B.C. when the Grecians and the Persians were at war. Supposedly, there was this one man, this army uh, warrior whose name was Pheidippides, who found out that the Persians were marching to the city of Marathon. And so he ran straight, straight from Athens to Sparta without stopping, 24 miles straight. And as soon as he arrived at Sparta, he shouted the news, the Persians are on the way, they're coming to Marathon, and then he dropped dead. Since then, well, <laughs> that's all right, don't, don't die from a run. Since then, we have built in a race called the Marathon Race, 26.2 miles to commemorate the feet of a man who gave it all for the run, for the safety of his people. Now, here's where it does get painfully humorous. I don't know, but that, that picture's a lot like me. I mean, not that nice form, but just running all the time. You just don't stop. The clock begins and off we go, and it's work and it's high demands, and we're working longer hours than ever before, a lot longer than our fathers did and our grandfathers did. We're putting in a lot of hours after hours at home on our computers logged in. And there's everything with our kids that we fill their schedule so full that as soon as they wake up to the time they hit their pillows on, 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 uh, at, at nighttime, they never stop. They're always somewhere doing something, going someplace, and there's all the calls all day long because we have our phone with us all day long. And so there's all the emails we always have to check and the phone calls we've got to take and the posts we've got to put out. And all day long we're running, running, running. And you know what we don't hear? It's a lot like when you're used to it in your car and you're driving and your car has those flashing lights on your dashboard that says, hey, something's not right and you need to stop. And we say it does that all the time. It's fine. But the car is saying, listen, if you keep going, you're going to break. And I think a lot of us has gotten used to listening, ignoring the alarms, which are saying, you can't live this way. Your marriage is falling apart. Your kids are getting neglected. Your body is falling apart. Your mind is distracted. Your life is falling apart at the seams. But this is just the way we live. It's the American dream to do everything, to have it all. Only as many of here have seen, I know Nathan has seen it, to see those who are reaching the end of their life, their bodies spent, and immense grief realizing that they spent their life pursuing things that really didn't matter in the end. We're just busy. We're busy and we're busy. We're, we're kind of like the picture in Ecclesiastes 10 and verse 10. If the axe is dull, he does not sharpen its edge. Then he must exert more strength. Wisdom has the advantage of giving success. 
As Walt here, Walt would have the image here. It's the idea of a lumberjack, and he's swinging, 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 and then after you swing for so long, the head of that axe gets dull. It's not as sharp anymore, and so you have to swing harder because it's getting duller. So you swing harder and harder, and that takes a lot more energy and strength, and that head keeps getting duller and duller, and that means you're going to use more and more energy, and you're going to get more tired and more tired, and your productivity is going to suffer, and the quality of your work is going to suffer, and don't forget you're swinging around a dangerous weapon. Something's going to happen if you keep swinging when you're tired. That's the image. What happens if you plug through life and you never stop? What happens to your marriage? What happens to your kids? What happens to you and your life and your habits and your soul? Because maybe, maybe if we could just take a page out of the life of Jesus and realize that there are some mornings that he didn't allow himself to be interrupted. He went away, and there was no one there. He didn't tell Peter. He didn't wake up John. He went away by himself, just he and the Lord to pray. Or maybe those lonely nights. Don't you wish you could be there in the Matthew 14, 23, on those lonely evenings when Jesus just left it all to a quiet place? where it was he and his thoughts and his meditations and his God. Can you feel it? Can you feel the calm sereneness of rest and silence? Brethren, how can we build back into our lives the rhythm of rest, of time just doing Nothing but recuperating and rejuvenating our spirit. I think, number one, we need to develop a balanced schedule. We do this with our checkbooks. I only have so much money coming in this month, and so I know how much I need to use where and when. What if we did that with our time? I've got 24 hours this day. I've got 168 hours this week. That seems like a lot of time. It's going to go real fast. What needs to happen most? Most importantly, and make sure I put that aside, God comes first. My family, family comes second. Service to, to he and his people comes third, and everything else is going to find its place. What if we got more in control of our schedules and our times? What if we stepped away for a bit, good brethren, and literally stepped away? I'm bad at this. I'm trying to get better. What if we let our phones just be phones? Can you imagine? What if we went back to 1995 and our phone stayed in one place and it wasn't here? We've started that at home and it's been good for us so far. We have a box in our kitchen. It's a charging station kind of box. And when we go home, it's there. It's in the box. You know what's funny is that those who are in their 50s and 60s get so mad at us for that. And they say, you don't pick up your phone. Well, what did you do when you were 30 and your wall was literally attached by a cord to the wall? You didn't scream at people then. What happens if you miss a phone call? What happens if I text you and you don't answer? I guess I missed you. And I guess I'll get you when I can get you. But can you imagine how different our life would be if we just stepped away? Like, let's just be honest. I think some of us are online all the time. There's never a time we're not on the screen. There's never a time when the TV's not on or we're not on Facebook constantly scrolling. Because I have to be ready to comment in the moment. I have to be ready. Music is always on. And that serene moment of Jesus in Matthew 14 and verse 23 of just silence. With the old-fashioned 1950s sitting at a table with your family for dinner with nothing else but you and the people you love. 
you think things would improve, brethren, if we built in some time where we just stepped away from it all? Let the world continue doing what it's doing while we step away and catch our breath and maybe say no from time to time. Because in our minds we say, what's one more? What's one more? I, I can do one more thing. I can, I can help you. I can serve you. I can take on this project. But then one becomes ten, becomes a week, becomes your life. And so there's times when you've got to learn to protect the word no, which means, no, I'm, I'm not going to go to this. Even if it's a good thing, even if it's a spiritual thing, even if it's something within my power, even if it's something I would like to do, there's some things about my life I've got to protect. And so I've got to learn to say no. I've got to learn to let some people down and to disappoint some people in my life. Because otherwise you will always be dictated by the needs and demands of others around you. And I need to learn find, to find ways, to learn to find some ways to refresh my spirit. Junk food is not where that's at. These poor preacher boys this week were full. What was it? Full of Doritos and Coke. Is that the, the phrase? Sugar is what it was. <laughs> Their pulpit presence at 1 a.m. was amazing after a sugar high. And then for some reason, it just kind of crashed after that. What happens in our, in our moments, the end of the evening, when we're exhausted and we're tired, and what we turn to is Facebook, is political news? You get a lot of what you get today. A lot of anger and a lot of fear and a lot of frustration. A lot of distracted lives and distracted thinking. What about things that refresh because I'm going to tell you right now, you go out and do some yard work, the, the first thing you don't want is a hot cup of coffee. You go outside on a run and you think, I just want a large glass of Coke. No, I don't think so. I just want water. I want something that's going to refresh my spirit. So you tell me, what refreshes you? Is it time in the Word of God? Just reading something that you know is going to reinvigorate your spirit? Is it listening to these songs? That I'll tell you, there are songs we sing. It does not matter how many times we sing them. That still stir my soul and remind me of things that are good. It's a time with God's brethren, or maybe it's time with nothing at all and just you. Maybe it's taking your mate on a date, and it's nothing but you two and a nice cooked meal that you didn't have to cook. Or taking your kids away on a vacation to get away from it all. Whatever it is, find ways to rejuvenate your spirit. But here it is. Here's the punctuating point. If you don't find times to take a break, you will break. Something in your life will fall apart. It could be a marriage. It could be a family, a family dynamic. For a lot of us, it's you. It's me. It's our lives. Build into your life a rhythm of rest. And the Sabbath reminds us of the beauty of today, good brethren, of the value of worship, of our time together. The Lord blessed the Sabbath, and he made it holy. For them, it was the seventh day. The seventh day set apart from all other things. For us, this side of the cross, there was something special in the New Testament pages about that first day of the week. There's something special about that day. Sunday is not the Christian Sabbath. Sunday is known and has been known for a long time as the Lord's Day. His day, the day that Jesus rose from the grave, the day the church began, the day the gospel was preached for the first time. There is something very special about this day. At least there used to be. Some of you were alive, and I know you remember it, that when Sunday came, it was different from the other days of the week. Businesses were closed on a Sunday. And what families did was they went to worship, and then they went home. And they spent time together at home. You didn't work on this Sunday. You didn't have to go clock in on this Sunday. You worshiped 
and you went home. We're not going back. Okay, we're not going to go to Walmart and petition, close your doors on Sunday, be like Chick-fil-A. We're, we're not going to be able to, <laughs> to do that. <laughs> but you know what my concern is? We, we, we can't change society, but we, we have changed with society. Because what happens is we come here and we rush through a Sunday and we get everything here done so we can go right back to life the way it used to be and all that we have done this meaningful moment is lost. We came to worship, we did what we needed to do, and then we're back to everything that needs to happen. We're back to work, we're back to shopping, we're back to the busyness, and we've not let this day change us and mold us and remind us of these things that really matter. We've not let, brethren, the God-given meaning of being a royal priesthood called by God to exclaim his glories, the excellencies of him who has called us out of darkness into his marvelous light, that was but a moment, not a lifetime lived. Yep, we worship every day, but this day ought to be different. And what we do this day ought to be different. And so don't rush. Don't rush through this day. Don't be so quick with everything you have planned for tomorrow and, and what's coming on this week. Distract you from the things we've learned and sung and be reminded of this day. Don't run so fast away from the foot of the cross that you forget what we just ate and what we just drank. It means something. We're busy. But let's slow down and let this day make the difference for what we do this next week. Do you know what's special about today? This is the first Sunday on the last half of this year. We've reached halfway. Half of 2020 is now behind us. And now we're on the back half. The intermission is over, and now we start the end of this year. And it's a great time to think, good brethren. How did you begin this year? How did it go? How was your start? Did you build some good habits? Did you make some good choices? Did you try something new, courageous? Did you challenge yourself in new ways, grow in new ways? Have you pushed yourself even more in your devotion to Christ? Has it been a rough start? Have you struggled and stumbled and put off along the way? This is a great turning point because it starts how we're going to end. What becomes of this year, brethren, depends on you and I. And what we do with the time God has given to us. God is calling his people to the still waters of life. And that's a promise that he gives to every one of us. Come to me, Jesus said, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Light living, restful soul. Can you, with this last half, these last six months, whatever time God gives us, build in some seasons of rest, of rest. Take some time for your soul. Take some time for your marriage. Take some time for your kids. Step away from the fast rapids of life that we seem so eager to navigate through Step out for a moment and catch your breath and rest. Rejuvenate that spirit and spend some time with God. 
And if you're here today and you find yourself heavy, heavy from the burdens of life, heavy from the weight of sin in your life, this promise is still the promise for you. If that picture of light living, of a restful spirit is something that you desire, that seems something so appealing to you, that can be yours today. If you're willing today to turn from your sin, to make Jesus your Lord and Master, to be baptized for those forgiveness of sins, you will leave from here lighter than you could possibly know. Your sin's forgiven. Living here heaven-bound. If we can help you, if we can encourage you, if we can pray for you, if you're ready for that light living, however it is we can serve you today, let's do it right now. Let's do it as we stand and as we sing. Thank you for connecting with us this morning. We're so thankful that you were able to do that. If you have questions, we'd love to have the opportunity to talk to you. You can contact us at www.thebibleway.com or questions at thebibleway.com. Questions at thebibleway.com. We'd love to have you in person. Come if you can, but thank you for connecting with us.